comes and ministers the word. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir. Glory to God. Thank you. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for that welcome. Feels like home. Praise the Lord. Glad I'm here today. Go ahead and be seated. Aren't you glad you're a believer? Yes. Now we're believers around here. Come to find out that God uses believers more than unbelievers. It's not deep, but it's good to know. Praise the Lord. And we know this. We know that God wants to use every one of our lives. He wants to lift us, build us, encourage us, give us the kind of direction and light and insight that makes a difference not just in our life but in people around us. And we've been designed for just that exact thing. We've been designed by God not only to glorify Him but then to be used by Him. How many of you think being used by God would be a good thing for you? Yeah. Glory to God. You know, some people have a weird idea about that. I mean, it's kind of strange. They, do, they pray, oh, God, use me. God, use me. They want to be used. Oh, God, whatever you want, I want to be used by God. And then they plug in someplace and they get some responsibilities and some, they're, they're asked to do a few things. And after a little while, they start to feel like they're being used. And uh, so, Lord, I didn't... I didn't really want to be used like this. Well, you got to decide. Do you want to be used by God or do you want to dictate how it's going to look? Well, I'm glad you're excited about that idea. So anyway, so look, I'm not going to use you up today. You're not going to get used up. I'm just going to minister the word to you. Are you hungry for the things of God? God moves more among the hungry than he does even among the holy. The Bible's clear that he's looking for people that are looking for him. Glory to God. I think we show up on a morning like this, beautiful day like it is, because we are hungry for God to move in our life. And that's what God has on his mind. Every time we come together, he intends to do something in our life that's going to make a difference and make a permanent difference. And I believe that's exactly what's going to happen in the next few minutes. Praise God. Just one word from God changes things. And it changes things for the better. And I believe you're going to get at least one word from the Lord today. Amen. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Joshua. One of my favorite people in the Bible. You come to get quite a few heroes and people that God uses to speak into your life. And Joshua has been that in my life and probably in many of yours. God used Joshua to do amazing things. And you know the history of this man some. Joshua was the assistant to the great Moses. Moses, the man that God used to lead Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. How many of you saw the movie? Yeah, it was a good movie. Praise God. Book's always better, but the movie was good. And during those early days of God moving in Israel and taking them out of the wilderness or taking them out of Egypt into the wilderness, actually. Joshua was right there working with Moses as the assistant. And even through Exodus, you get some little glimpses of Joshua's participation and how God was raising him up. And you start to see why God would put him in the position that he is in now at the beginning of the book of Joshua. He's about to step up into a role of leadership 
And it's all about the transition that was going to take place to take Israel not only out of Egypt, when they've now been out of Egypt for a long time, they've been out of Egypt now for many years, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. My wife has a theory as to why it took 40 years for them to get out of the wilderness, being led by Moses, Moses being a man, he just wouldn't ask directions. I reject that. I don't know how she came up with that theory. Well, it could have been I was involved, but I don't think so. But they did wander in the wilderness, and in fact, most of the people that came out of Egypt, not all of them, but nearly all of them, had died out in that wilderness. And now the people that, Mo, that Joshua is about to lead are people that were actually born in that wilderness experience. They were born outside of Egypt. They were born where God was attending to them in amazing ways every day. They were eating supernatural food every day. Water coming out of rocks and bitter waters being turned sweet. And these young people now grown up in the things of God, knowing they were free to worship. Their elders had not been free to worship, not in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt to help them know they were free to worship, that they could follow God's leadership, that they would receive provision from God. And now these people that Joshua's leading, those things are real to them. They know they're free to worship God. They know that God would provide and that he would bring leadership to them. But now they were to discover something else. Not just that they had a place in God, but that they had a capacity for God to do the supernatural through them in the biggest way. And that's what was about to happen. They were leaving a wilderness experience. And they were moving into this land to take charge and possess things that an enemy would always want to say they had no right to possess. That's really, in so many ways, all of these things, you know how it is. These are all metaphors and ideas that God wants to help us glean truth in the new covenant life from what happened in those days, though it was under an old covenant. Man, there was things that God was doing in them that Jesus has now taken those ideas and expanded them so that you and me can live in the way God initially designed it. God always wanted a family. He always wanted not servants. He always wanted sons and daughters. He wasn't looking for slaves. That's why Israel had to release and come out of Egypt and get rid of a slavery mentality. God wanted a family. Jesus came to reveal something about God. Even, even the elders in Israel in Jesus' day wouldn't talk about in the way Jesus did. He called God Father. Nobody called God Father. None of, none of Israel would call God Father. And Jesus came with that concept because that's the way God wanted us to know him, mm -hmm. our Heavenly Father. Anyway, now, I've got about three messages I've started now. And so we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> I'm just cranked, that's all. Praise God. That would be a good thing in case you don't know. 
Have you found Joshua yet, the first chapter? That's all the time I'm going to give you for that. God opens this book up, the book of Joshua, with God speaking to Joshua, something that's so obvious, it's amazing. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. That would sound like a downer because Moses had been the guy that all of Israel and even Joshua had followed every day of their life, followed his leadership. God would speak to Moses, and then people would find out what God wanted. But now God had something else going on. And he was about to show some things in Joshua that would even shock Joshua. And he begins it by saying that the obvious, Moses is dead. He's gone. Joshua already knew that. But sometimes God will overemphasize the obvious just so that it really settles in on you how important this moment really is. Something is changing and God is telling Joshua how this is going to go. So I want you to see, we'll begin in verse 6 actually, drop down to verse 6. I'm going to use the New Living Translation today, most of the time. I've got to keep these electronic guys on, on point here with the New Living Translation. Watch this from verse 6. God speaking to Joshua, he said, Be strong and be courageous, for you are the one I or who will lead these people to possess the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong. Now look at it this time. And very courageous. Everybody say strong, strong. and courageous. And strong, strong and very courageous. very courageous. Something big about this idea. For what God had in mind for Joshua, but not just him, for you and me, these are some qualities that we're going to have to stir up in our life to be strong, but not just strong, courageous. It's not enough to just obey God. There's a courage that has to come that you'll step out and do what God's called you to do. God's calling Joshua to do what seemed impossible, to take and possess a land that was full of a lot of enemies to God and ruthless people. And yet this was the land that God had already given to Israel. These others didn't ever belong in that land. Israel belonged in this land. And now they were going to, if to use it this way, they're going to repossess it. What does God say to Joshua, these two words, these two concepts, be strong and be courageous. We know that God has dwells on the inside of us, and he provides strength to us. He is our anchor, our rock. But there's something about courage that has to stir up on the inside of us, and I want to talk to you about courage and the power of encouragement. Be courageous. The, the word courage, the English word courage, Interesting to me comes from the French word for heart. That's where it gets its origin in the English language, the word for heart. Now, I don't speak French, but I can read a dictionary. And I think that's, that's really telling to us as to part of what it can mean to be courageous. Courage is kind of a word where you... And it's a concept where you know when you see it 
in somebody or happening, you'd see it demonstrated, that, was, that took real courage. And you know when you don't see it. But sometimes it's a little tough to define, but I want to give you these two ideas or concepts to help define it the way I believe God wants to deal with it right now in our life. To be courageous really means that you will follow your heart and not just your head. You follow what's on the inside of you. Sometimes the courageous thing to do doesn't always seem like the reasonable thing to do. It certainly is not always the safe thing to do. But when it's born of God, when it comes out of your spirit, when it comes out of that new birth experience and who God is on the inside of you, suddenly what is courageous and what takes strength also makes sense. It doesn't make sense to your head maybe, but it will make sense to your heart. You know on the inside this is the direction or this is the action or this is the thing that you have got to do. It takes courage. To follow your heart is what brings that courage into action. Glory to God. Courageous people follow their heart. You know, it takes courage for that firefighter to run into the building when everybody else is running out. And while I understand there's training involved and you have to know certain things about the way things will go, it takes more than training. It takes courage to do it. The same for the soldier out on the battlefield. The same thing for the law enforcement running towards the gunfire instead of away. Why? Because not just that they're trained, but there's something on the inside of them that kicks in. And it's courage. It comes out of what's on the inside of a person. Glory to God. And you and me as believers, we can discover the power of courage when we follow what's on the inside of us and learn to follow our heart. And when I say that, I say that with the idea, of course, follow your heart as you are hearing from the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of you. Now, oftentimes that doesn't seem familiar to you, but you grow in this. You grow in your confidence that you're following your inner man and not just following a good idea. You know, there are all kinds of ideas, and a lot of them can be good ideas, but not every good idea is a God idea. You got to find out what is a God idea and follow that and just leave the good ideas alone. And certainly, just to overemphasize the obvious, certainly leave the bad ideas alone. The dictionary also defines courage this way, and I love this. To be courageous means you also would have a buoyant spirit. Buoyancy. I like that word, that idea. And it defines what is courageous in a lot of cases. It is that when you've been pushed down or pulled under, the moment you kick loose of whatever it is that has drug you down, man, right back to the top you rise. Glory to God. Why? Because what's on the inside of you is greater than whatever may have been around you dragging you down. That courageous buoyancy doesn't mean that all the conditions have changed. It just means those conditions 
are not defining your situation now. Suddenly you're defining things by what is already born on the inside of you. Joshua was courageous and he had to lead Israel with courage to go into that land and do what they did. And you know the stories. It's, it's just such, such a great study when you go through it. The very first thing God had them do once they got into that promised land and they were, they were now in covenant and their covenant was established in such a great way, God sent them up against the city of Jericho, the most formidable city in the region, huge walls, fierce fighting people, and God sends Israel, this vagabond army that is fresh out of the wilderness, and they're going to come up against Jericho, and they're going to defeat them. This is amazing. What they didn't know immediately, they found out later, is that the people of Jericho were terrified that Israel had crossed the river And now they were on the march and headed their way. You know, a lot of times we're the last ones to know that the devil's the one afraid of us. He wants us to be afraid of him and all his various strategies. And really all that is the smokescreen to try to keep you bound to your fears rather than locked in to faith in what God would do through you. So we could just spend all day enjoying how Israel went into that land of promise and how the walls of Jericho came down after the most unusual battle strategy you've ever heard of in your life. March around the city in silence, which is miraculous for most and certainly for Israel, and do it 13 times over seven days. And over that period of time, they praised God and that was it. And then they remained silent as they marched around the city. Once a day for six days, and on that seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. It's a one-hour trip all the way around this city. They had a long day. And at the end of the day, they shouted. This was the strategy. Just stand there and shout. And they did that. And a wild thing happened. The walls came down, and all the fierce fighters of Jericho trembling on the inside, took off running for their life. Glory to God. And that was the first of 31 kings and kingdoms that would fall to this vagabond army of now strong and courageous people following Joshua. And what a story it is. Praise God. It takes courage, not just strength. It takes you stepping out. And stepping into things and acting on those impulses and those directives that you find in Scripture. It's not enough just to know something that God wants. You finally have to act on it, don't you? Let me try that again. You finally have to act on it, don't you? Oh, yeah. Praise God. You're here. All right. I'm just checking, man. Joshua's not the only man that demonstrated this these different kinds of courage. It's all through Scripture. There's some great guys. But I want to talk about another unsung hero you find in Scripture, really, in the New Testament, who also was courageous. It's a man named Barnabas. You don't really hear a great deal about Barnabas, though he was quite a significant man in the book of Acts. God used him to do things that others apparently weren't willing to do. And He got his name, Barnabas. The Bible tells us this. It's really cool. 
He got his name. Actually, his name is Joseph. But uh, the, the early church people that he was in, involved with, they renamed him. And the apostles even renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Something about this man, Joseph, just got everybody's attention because he was an encourager. They just decided to just call him that. We're just going to call you Barnabas. And throughout the rest of the book of Acts, when his name comes up, it's not Joseph, it's only Barnabas, the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. That's what Acts chapter 4 tells us. The son of encouragement. He was an encourager. And that's really what I want to focus on today because I don't believe there's anything any more spiritual that you and me can do in the kingdom of God among the body of Christ and people that God joins us with than to be the voice of encouragement, to do something that stirs up that courage in somebody else, that you have a word. You know, some people are discouraging everywhere they go. But some people become like Barnabas, uh, an encourager. You know, pessimism always sounds smarter than optimism. Have you noticed this? It's, the pessimist sounds smarter because nobody's going to pull the wool over his eyes. He can see through whatever's going on, and he finds the dark side of all of it. The en encourager or the optimist seems naive, maybe not fully informed, maybe kind of Pollyanna, everything's fine no matter what because they are just optimistic. And yet there's a lot more to this idea of optimism than just being bright about things and choosing to be happy and not see all of the issues that could be dragging them down. No, so many times what it really means is that they have refused to allow the darkness to encroach on the positive results of what Jesus is bringing into their life. They've made a choice, and the encourager has to make that choice has to make the choice that even though there are dark issues and troubled times, it's not like we're pretending they don't exist. It's that we have found the way to attack those negative issues with something that can make a difference. Joining into the darkness doesn't make any difference in a positive way. It just adds to the depression. You're right, it is bad. Oh my God, I didn't realize how bad it was. And it's getting worse all the time. But the encourager's got a word, something to say. And here this man Barnabas, he was just part of that early church. In fact, he's the first man that Scripture tells us sold some property and just gave it all to the church for the advancement of the vision of what God had called that church to do. And there's something powerful about that. And while at that point he was just part of the church, a member of the church, there was a destiny that God had that begins to unwrap in Barnabas' life where you find him later being one of the men, in fact, one of the main ministers of the early church where he encouraged people in their walk with God. 
You find him even later as a man who went and found Saul, who would later become Paul. Interesting how in Acts there's people's names get changed frequently, it seems. Maybe we'll just change your name here today, find something. All right, maybe not. <laughs> but Saul, who was a threat to the church, you know his history, he was feared by people in churches because he was having them arrested and throwing his lot in with their punishment for this heresy of Christianity. But Saul had an experience. He had it in Damascus, on the road to Damascus, in Syria. <laughs> I don't know, I just love the fact that God did some really big things in Syria. <laughs> Praise God. And it ain't over. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I could revel in that for a while. But you find Barnabas actually goes and finds the Apostle Paul. They'd heard about Saul now being called Paul. Well, a little later. I'll call him Paul the rest of the service just for my own sake. He went and found Paul, who had had experiences in God now. He had been teaching and preaching now in the places God had him, but he had not really been joined to the apostles in Jerusalem. And Barnabas got him and brought him and connected him. He encouraged the apostles and encouraged Paul to join together. He brought them together and God did something dramatic. And the next time you find this man Barnabas, he is one of the two apostles that is now on a missionary journey. It was Barnabas and Paul that went out and began to preach. So he's gone from being a member of the church. He's gone then to becoming one of the men that connected leaders together. And he's become one of the main voices of leadership as an apostle. Glory to God. Barnabas, what is it about him that distinguished him from others around him? He had a word of encouragement. Something about him just lifted people. You know, you get around people like that. People just lift you. Or some people drag you down. I was at a church in a conference, another conference. This is another Australia story. I was in Australia. This was another time. It was another conference I was at and ministering. And, and uh, a lady came to me after the service that I had spoken at, and she was so excited about Jesus, and God was doing great things, and she just said that was such, so encouraging and blessed me and whatever else she said. I, I should have wrote it down and memorized it. It was really cool. But then she said this. She said, you know, I don't come to this church where this conference was taking place. I go to another church. I don't recall what it was. It was another denominational church, a denomination known for, I think, believing in pretty much nothing. And, uh, but she went to this denominational church, and she said, you know, on a Sunday morning, she's sharing this with me, just standing with you, on a Sunday morning, I wake up excited about Jesus. I throw the curtains over, begin to sing to the Lord. She was very dramatic. And, uh, and uh, my husband and I, we get ready for church, and we get to the service. We're so excited in Jesus, and we begin to sing the songs and love on the Lord, and we have a wonderful... She went on like this for a bit, and then she said, and then the minister gets up, and her entire tone changed just like that. 
Then the minister gets up, and he begins to speak. And if at the end of his message I can have a smile on my face, I've had a great victory that day. I'm thinking, lady, I didn't say it, but you wouldn't get me back to that church a second time. In fact, I most likely would not have gone the first time. Whatever he said, she didn't go into detail, but whatever it was, it was a major downer. It wasn't lifting her up, wasn't building her, wasn't teaching her apparently. It was dragging her down from what God had placed on the inside of her. Sometimes people are the voice of discouragement in your life and you have to know how to handle that and handle them. You have to know maybe these are people that you've got to be with and got to be around, but you don't have to let their discouragement become a part of how you think and where you go and what you are believing. But encouragers, God's raising up encouragers, and everybody needs encouragement. Doesn't matter how long somebody's been walking with the Lord, a word of encouragement is a good thing. To bless somebody with your words is a good thing, and you have the ability, you do, as a believer, to speak a word that will lift someone. If you can speak something that would drag them down, you can speak something that would lift them up. Thank you for your enthusiasm over that idea. Glad that excited you. Praise the Lord. You have that capacity. And everybody in your life, everybody around you can benefit from a word of encouragement. You know, even Paul, the apostle, needed encouragement from time to time. He shares something with us that I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians. Again, I'm going to use the New Living Translation in this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. While you're finding that, you realize that the book of 2 Corinthians is the second letter that Paul has written to this church in Corinth. The first one is creatively called 1 Corinthians. (laughs) But now, in knowing that, the reason I bring it up is because in 1 Corinthians... Paul had a lot of correcting that he felt he needed to do, and he said some things to that church that was a little rough. I mean, it blessed him, it helped him, but he had to correct things. He brought some things up that was just hard to even imagine was going on in a church, unless you've been going to church. And uh, now he's writing them again, and he says this. In verse 4, he says, I have the highest confidence in you. And I take great pride in you. That's amazing. That the same church that he had corrected last time and had some pretty strong correction and, of course, teaching and encouragement as well, but now he just lays it out. I have great confidence in you. Don't you think it would sound good to you to know that somebody that worked you over before now has confidence in you? All right, that might be an overstatement. Maybe he didn't work them over. But I know if I said some of the things to people that I've ministered to the way Paul said it to them, I think they would have felt worked over. I've tried it, and they did. (laughs) But then look at the next line in verse 4. He said, you have greatly encouraged me. 
and made me happy despite all of our troubles. Now that phrase, all of our troubles, you know, there's two ways you can see that. And, it, and you can, I think, benefit from both ways. But you've made me happy despite all of the hard things you and me have gone through and all of the strategies against us. Or it could also mean you have made me happy though you and me have had a lot of trouble between us. In spite of all of our troubles, I'm happy and I'm confident and encouraged by what's happening in your life. But then watch this next verse. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction. Now watch this line. This is why we're reading this. With battles on the outside and fear on the inside. This is the Apostle Paul. He's facing battle on the outside, but he also said we had fear on the inside. The Apostle Paul had what? Not just battles, but those fear on the inside. That's the game that Satan's really out to play on every one of us. And Paul gives us a window into his own soul as to what he was facing also. As a great leader, a man that had been used by God in the most amazing ways, and he had had revelation. I mean, he'd gone up to heaven. He talks about what he had seen, and I mean, this is amazing. And yet the battles on the outside in his life are there to do exactly what the battles on the outside are here to do in our life today. It is to create fear on the inside. Fear that God's Word is not working. Fear that we are going to fail. Fear that what has, has happened in our past is going to continue to repeat itself in our future. Fear that we don't have what it takes to get through this and really be somebody that God could say, I have the greatest confidence in you and I'm happy in spite of all of our troubles. You see, fear, you know this, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the currency of the kingdom of darkness, like faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And the game of these battles against us, no matter where they come from, from relationships or from legal situations or from financial stress and worry or from past problems that we've carried or family issues, whatever the battle is, the game is the same. Ultimately, it is to create a fear on the inside of one type or another. Now, maybe not fear that you'll miss heaven and go to hell. I think we're past that as believers. I believe you as part of this service and this ministry, there's something settled on the inside of you that heaven is your home. If it's not, uh, settle it right now. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. But that doesn't exempt us. Though we know Jesus, it doesn't exempt us from the battles on the outside or what the end game that Satan has in mind with these battles, and that is to create fear on the inside. Because that will disconnect you from the power of God. That will keep you from taking hold of the promises the way God has given them to you. The fear on the inside that you don't have what it takes, that you'll be found out, that something's going to come out, your life is going to end up a ruin, or whatever the fear might be. Paul said he had it. This is amazing. Battles on the outside and fear on the inside, even Paul. But look at what he says happens. This is so cool. Verse 6, 
but God. Everybody say it out loud, but God. But God. Now look, I'm going to say something to you. You're probably going to remember this. You've got to keep your butt in the right place. <laughs> everything after the but changes everything before the but. That's right. But God. Ooh, I like that. All the battles on the outside, the fear on the inside. Oh, yeah, but God. As long as you keep your butt right there in God, what has been discouraging. All right, are we all still here? Everybody's still? Any mercy in the house? Love of Jesus? Don't, young people, don't quote me. Um, but God, now watch this, who encourages those who are discouraged. Look at what happened encouraged us by the arrival of who? By the arrival of Titus. How did God encourage Paul? Well, on this day, he encouraged Paul through somebody. And in this case, it was a man who was like a son in the Lord to Paul, Titus. Titus is the same Titus that Paul wrote a letter to that is also creatively called the book of Titus. This is a son, really, in the Lord to the apostle Paul. And yet, in this instance, Titus brought encouragement. And apparently, it dealt with the fear on the inside that even Paul was dealing with because Titus encouraged Paul. He doesn't tell us exactly how he did it. Sometimes just showing up is encouragement enough. But Titus showed up. We need some more Tituses. We need to become the Barnabas and Titus type, the people that come and bring encouragement. That's really our assignment. As big as anything in life, it is our assignment to be the voice of courage and encouragement to people around us. Encouraging your own family, encouraging your own marriage, encouraging your co-workers, whether they get it or not. Encouraging people right here in this body, encouraging your pastors. Not only having them be the voice of encouragement to you. Paul was encouraged by Titus. Sometimes it just takes somebody that is just takes a moment of time to speak a good word to you. It doesn't, doesn't really take a lot, a lot of times. Hey, I was just thinking about you. Just want you to know you've been such a blessing, and I just pray for you today. What? You were thinking about, I, you were thinking about me today? One day I was, I was sitting in my office and doing whatever, and, this is a number of years ago now, but I, uh, I thought of a guy that I hadn't seen in years. I hadn't talked to him in the longest time. He pastors a church, and I had spoken for his church a few times, but it had been a long time since I'd seen Paul. And I was thinking, I wonder how, this, how Paul is doing. I haven't talked to him in ages. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to call him on the phone. I think I'll just call Paul. So I found his number, and I began to dial and call him and the phone was ringing, and <clears throat> I had a thought blow through my head as the phone was ringing before Paul answered. Now, look, I'm a guy, I've had a lot of thoughts blow through my head. 
And not all of them have been all that much about like Jesus kind of thoughts over the years. But this one blew through my head. It was, and here's, here's what it was. Paul's radio broadcast is having a great impact in his city. Why would I think that? I haven't talked to him in years. I haven't been in his city. I don't know anything about it. I know he had a radio broadcast. I don't know that he still has one. But that thought had just blown through. Well, you know, I'm, I've known enough about how the Holy Spirit works, and I'm familiar enough with these things now that I just decided I'd just go ahead and say it. Paul picked up the phone, and I said, Paul, this is Dennis Burke. And we said, oh, man, Dennis, we haven't talked in so long. We chatted for a moment. How are you? Yeah, fine, fine. Everything's fine. Everybody's fine. Hey, Paul, I just was thinking, and, you know, your radio broadcast is having a great impact in your city. I just said it. Suddenly, I realized that I have been dropped on the floor. Bam! He has dropped the phone onto the floor. And the next thing I hear is what I now know is what dancing sounds like by phone. <laughs> I'm laying on the floor now, and apparently he's dancing in his office. That's where I called. He's dancing, and he starts shouting, Oh, God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. So he's shuffling. He's dancing. I'm laying on the floor. He's kicking up dust all over me. And... Uh, shouting to the Lord. Well, something going on here, and I'm going to wait and find out. So in a few moments, it seemed like a long time when you're laying on the floor, but he picked me up off the floor, Dennis, and just barely needed the phone. I said, yes, Paul, I'm still here. He said, Dennis, I was just in prayer. I mean, I was just uttering these words. Lord, I don't feel like my radio broadcast is having any impact in my city. Ring, ring, ring. Your radio broadcast is having a great impact in your city. <laughs> Glory to God. It was like heaven opened up for him, man. It's like the light shines. It's like the Red Sea divided. All right, it wasn't that big, but it was big for him anyway. For me, it was just a thought. It was just, you know, you know, hey, let's, you know, just throw it against the wall, see if it sticks. And... Uh, <laughs> But for him, man, it was straight out of heaven. And you see, God can use any of us this way. You see, if we think it and it's encouraging, go ahead and say it. We're so quick to criticize, so, so slow to encourage. And we've got to turn that around. We've got to take on that spirit of of Christ, of the anointing, and be a voice of encouragement. That's really how God deals with us primarily. I know there's corrective things that come, but there are more things that God says to lift your life than to, to correct a wrong that's in your life. Mm -hmm. Now, oftentimes people don't really pay attention to the encouragement, and so it feels for some that all they get is correction, correction, correction. Well, that's really not all that God says. In fact, that's not the vast majority of what he says. The majority of it is lifting you up. He's in love with you, and he will tell you that every day. He'll tell you throughout the day, and he'll give you reasons why. Glory to God. And you and me as encouragers can take on that spirit of encouragement. About two years ago, Vicki... And I, we went through probably the toughest 
attack against us that we've ever been through in our life. It felt like it was a life and death situation, and we were under pressure. We don't really broadcast our things, and you probably don't either. You get under real pressure, some real attack. There might be one or two or three people that you bring into it for prayer and people you trust, but for the most part, we leave those things alone and just put it before God, and that's what we were doing. We were speaking the Word. We were declaring what God said. We're standing on promise. We're no novice in this. We've stood against a lot of things, and we've seen the power of God come through in so many cases, but man, this felt different. This was so strong. It was so heavy. It was so demonic. It was such an attack physically And it honestly felt like it was going to be a death situation. And we were in it. And you know, those kind of times become very consuming. It drains you. It demands your attention. It speaks to you day and night. When your eyes are open, you're hearing the voices of pain or attack or a bleak future. You're hearing it and imagining it just, it becomes consuming. And that's part of the pushback that we as believers have to continue to apply. But man, we've been in this for several days now. And I'm not telling you, man, it gets, it gets weary. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But there we were. And I was, Vic and I, we were together day and night in this and speaking the word and dealing with all these things. And midweek of that week, I get a text from somebody. I'm a big texter. I'm good at texting. I like sending them. I like getting them. Well, not all of them, but many. And I got a text from a guy. He had never texted me. He's another minister. I mean, that's kind of my world. So he's another guy. I'd spoken for him at his church, and, and uh, we knew each other and, and all, but he doesn't call me. I don't call him. He doesn't text me. I don't text him. We've got the kind of friendship. There's nothing he wouldn't do for me, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for him, which is why we continue to do nothing for each other. <laughs> that's kind of how it goes for us. But suddenly I get a text from him. He said, I have found myself praying for you over the last three days, and the Lord gave me something just to share with you. And he went on to share some things about me, about ministry, about vision that God had, things that nobody knew except God. And while he actually did not address the current situation. There was so much life and encouragement and energy in these words. It bolstered me. I read this out to Vicki. It spoke to us about not just where we are today, but things about where we're going. And it said in between the lines, there is a future... And these circumstances are not the description of what your future looks like. 
Oh, man, this got all over me. It boosted me and Vicky. And right then, when I look back, it was at that point, in fact, the next morning, that what had been not changing for days and looking like it was going in the wrong direction, that morning, there was a change. It was just little. But that little tiny ray of light is all I needed to know, man. God is so on top of this. Power of God, we are the delivered. We've been saying the same thing, but now there was a new courage. Glory to God. And one of the tools that God used was that God had sent me a Titus, a Barnabas, in the form of a text. He didn't even have to leave the house. He could have been in his pajamas. (laughs) Thank God for technology. (laughs) Except Facebook when you forget that it is a video screen of you and the way you look. Anyway, that's another problem that can occur. You got to be sure and get dressed for Facebook. (laughs) Or FaceTime, I mean. God will use you as a Titus. Sometimes it may just be a text. Could just be a phone call. Doesn't take long. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a great deal of depth. It just takes a decision. Mm -hmm. That you want to be used by God. That you want to be an encouragement. You say, yeah, but they don't. Uh, They're going to think it's weird. No, well, let them think it's weird. But you know, it's funny. Weird stuff can taste really good can feel just right. Oh, man, I never hear from this guy. But boy, I receive this in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. An encourager. Here's what the Bible tells us. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 tells us to encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. And like I said, sometimes it's not a deep word. It's not some theological point. It's not a scripture. It's just, hey, man, thinking about you, love you, bless you, God bless you, bye. (laughs) It's just an encouragement. And scripture tells us to do this. So we got to ask ourselves, am I doing this? Is this part of my life habit? Am I an encourager or am I the one only needing encouragement, waiting for somebody else to do what Scripture tells all of us to do? You see, some people are so accustomed to being on the receiving end, it doesn't even occur to them to be on the giving end. But what do I have to give? You've got the same thing everybody else has to give. Yeah, but I'm in my tough times myself. All the more reason to get your eyes off of yourself. And also, let God do something through you to encourage somebody else. He says encourage one another daily. Is that in the Word? Okay, let me just answer that. Yes, it is in the Word, Dennis. And would we consider ourselves Word people around here? Yes. Oh, very good. (laughs) Revelation is growing right this instant. We are Word people. That's a Word. Encourage one another daily. I want you to incorporate this in your habits. Make this part of your life. 
But the Apostle Paul also said this to the Romans. He said, I long to come, in, in chapter 1, he said, I long to come to you and give you some spiritual encouragement. There are times where it's not just a word I'm thinking about you. It really is. You know, I'm praying for you. And I feel like God just wants you to know that he's on your side, something, whatever it is. But it is also a word of spiritual encouragement. But then there's those times for all of us when Barnabas is not coming. Titus is not coming. Where we are in those times and we got to figure out how we are going to handle this. We would love for a Titus to come. Just be an encouragement. Help me know that it's, it's not just my shoulder against the plow. You've put your shoulder against it with me. There's something really powerful about that. But so many times in the Christian life, even in a church, a loving church, people don't really get it a lot of times. And so they're not going to put their shoulder to the plow with you. You're on your own. One of the greatest pictures of how we can handle this comes from King David. Actually, it was a moment before he had become king. He was still on the run from King Saul. This is a different Saul than the one that became Paul. You get it. This is in the Old Testament. This is King Saul, who was the first king who should never have been king in Israel. But now... David has been on the run from Saul, even though David has not done anything to violate Saul. Saul had all of his own issues, and that's another story. But David's on the run, but he's on the run with hundreds of supporters, people that had gravitated to him. He had 400 men that stood with him and their families, and they were all like vagabonds running and on the run, and outside of Saul's reach at this point. They had literally gone in to the territory of the Philistines, a lifelong enemy, really. And yet he had created a safe zone with the Philistines, and he was living along with all of these families in the region of Ziklag. And the Bible tells the story how David and the men had gone out for three days to take care of some issues, and they had left their families and their city behind. And during that time, the Amalekites, another enemy, not only to David but to everybody else, they came through that area pillaging and destroying. They came to Ziklag and they took all of the men, or rather the women and the children and all of the wealth of all of these families that were a part of David's clan and they burned the city to the ground and took all the people captive. And these 400 men that were with David, they arrived back in Ziklag to ashes, to nothing. Everything in their life was gone, but their families had been taken captive. And these 400 did what a lot of people do when they get under pressure. They look for who to blame. And so many times, instead of blaming People like the Amalekites, who were the guys that really did all this, they blamed somebody closer to them. Somebody else is the reason. You know, blame is so important. At least it's important for a lot of people. You've got to know who to blame. 
You see, because blame, it's a place that people run for their own psychological and emotional safety. It doesn't work, but they still run there. If they can just blame somebody, it frees them from a sense of responsibility for any of this. So people run to blame. They run to a lot of things. You got to decide and figure out that Scripture's crystal clear, man. When you're under pressure, when it's looking bad, you run to the Lord. You don't run to pornography. You don't run to adulteries. You don't run to gossip. You don't run to anger. You don't run to blame. You run to the Lord, even though you may feel a lot of other things. You run to Jesus and you let him minister to you in this time, whether you feel like this is what you want to do or not. But these men, they did what so many do, and they ran to blame, and David was the man they blamed. The reason all of this happened to us, the only reason we're stuck out here in the twilight zone is because we're running with you, David, because of Saul's hatred for you. You are the reason this destruction has come into our life. And that began to talk about killing David. How many churches have I gone to where people go through hardship and hard times and the pastor that has laid his life down for them for years, blessed the kids, baptized the family, been there for the funerals. When trouble comes and hardship and something happens, they blame the pastor. All right, that's another message. I realize you're here, not somewhere else, so apparently you're not one of them. <laughs> Thank you for that one. Amen. <laughs> but I want to read to you how David handled this when he was all alone. And he was alone. That's how it feels a lot of times. And that's really what the devil would like to tell you. You really are alone. Nobody gives a rip about you. Nobody cares about the trouble you're in the problems you're seeing. If I just disappeared, nobody would even miss me, Dennis. They wouldn't even come looking for me. Oh, shut up. <laughs> you talk like that, you can be sure I'm not going to come look for you. <laughs> I say in the love of Jesus. First Samuel chapter 30 is where these events are described. And now I'm going to twist this up and use the Amplified Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6 where it says this, David was greatly distressed for the men, his men, these are his men, the ones that he's been leading and laying his life down for as well. They spoke of stoning him. Now we're not talking about the 60s idea of stoned. We've got to be clear about this. This is about throwing rocks until they're dead. You know, somebody's always looking for an angle. Look at that, man. They got stoned right there in the Bible. Just trying to be clear. They spoke of stoning him because the souls of all were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. Now watch this next line. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
There was no Titus coming. There was no Barnabas coming. There was no encouragement coming. There was nobody going to throw their shoulder to the plow with him. There was nobody coming to lighten his load. He was on his own. On his own, all except for the God that he served. Now, this may not sound all that comforting at a time like this, but when you feel all alone, you also got to realize you got all the angels of God, you got all of heaven on your side, you've got the name of Jesus, the sacrifice Jesus made, you've got all the power of God on your side, and while you're feeling lonely and whiny and, and licking your wounds, you are still not alone. You just feel alone because you are feeling sorry for yourself. I've been doing too good a job to be put in this condition and situation. I've been too good a husband to be treated like this. I've been too faithful a wife to be treated like this. I've been too good a mommy or daddy for these kids to treat me like this. Boo-hoo, hoo <laughs> Look, I know those are real issues. I know that that can feel that way. But in the middle of being alone, you just are not. But in those times, you got to suck it up and you're going to have to do just what David did. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What does it sound like to encourage yourself? Even when you don't feel like these things are so, you begin to declare the things that the Bible says are so. Yeah, yeah I know all this attack has come at me and fear on the inside, battle on the outside, but God is my deliverer. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be. You may have to grit your teeth the first time you say it. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad right now. I'm glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. You begin to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. God honors that faith. Something starts to stir on the inside of you. I'm not only glad I realize I've been made the righteousness of God. I am an overcomer. I am not going under. I go over. Just like Jesus said, I would and I can. I am the healed. I am the delivered. I'm the prosperous. I'm the overcomer. I refuse to cave in. I refuse to give up. I refuse to let the devil take ground from me. I stand on the authority of God's Word. God's Word in me is more than enough. God has revealed Himself in me and to me and through me, and this will not beat me. I beat this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I begin to encourage myself in the Lord my God. I'm going over, devil, just come at me. You want a piece of me? This is our moment. I'm ready to tangle. And you move from the whiny baby that you were. I know that's so harsh, but we're about at the end of the service. You turn from the, the whiny baby that you were 
into the conquering champion that you are in Christ Jesus. And while at that instant you may not see something has changed on the outside, you may not feel a bit different on these outer issues, but on the inside something has happened. Strength and courage. That's what God told Joshua. That's what Paul received. This is what David did in the face of discouragement. He just encouraged himself. There's nobody to blame now. Why? Because I'm not running to blame. I'm run to Jesus, and he is Lord, and I'm going over in Jesus' name. I refuse to lay down. I don't care what the report said. I've read that report. It had all kinds of bad news in it, but in the name of Jesus, I received the report of the Lord. And I received the wisdom of God as to how I'm to handle pursuing my deliverance regarding that report. Now watch what David goes on to do down in verse 8. It says, So David inquired of the Lord. This is after he encouraged himself. Now he wants to hear from the Lord fresh and new about this situation. He said, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him. God will answer you too. Yes, he will. Pursue, and you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Everything that was stolen, you will recover. Every bit of ground that Satan took advantage of, you will repossess in the name of Jesus. Whatever looked like it was destroyed... God's in the business of rebuilding what is destroyed, helping you repossess what was stolen, helping you move forward from those things that you can't regain, but you can take new ground. God's got plans for your days ahead. Glory to God. He said, pursue it. That's the word for you today. Pursue it with courage and strength. He was strengthened in the Lord, and he had now the courage. He had now that inner fortitude, That's that power on the inside to go ahead and press in. That's what's on the inside of you right this minute. Whether you feel it or not is not the issue. We like to feel it. I like, I like good feelings. feels good to feel good. But it's not about the feelings. It's about the knowing. And here's what happened when David got that word from the Lord. That courage and strength that had come alive in David came alive in all of these 400 men. And David led them out just like Joshua had led Israel before. David now led this 400-man army out to find those Amalekites. And the Bible says that they found them, they beat them, and they took back everything that was stolen and more. They ended up in a better place than they had been before they had been attacked. I love this about Jesus. He not only gives back and gets you back to where you were, he gets you into a restoration like you've never been in before in your life. He puts you in a stronger place. You'll not be taken advantage of in that way again. You'll not cave in. You'll not, you'll not question the next time that that battle rages. The fear won't get on the inside. I've dealt with this before. I know how this goes. I will not let this battle turn into a fear on the inside. Not this time. Glory to God. You've gained ground. 
Am I making any sense to you? So it's time to encourage yourself. Don't wait for somebody else. You become the encourager. And I, here's what I find. I find when I am an encourager to somebody, it goes off in me at the same time. What God encouraged them with, it's like, ooh, that was good for me too. See, I don't tell them that. This was all for them. You know how selfish people want to be. So this is all about you, man. It's all about you. But on the side, man, I'm saying, oh, that was for me too. <laughs> Glory to God. You encourage yourself in the Lord your God. This is grown-up Christianity, man. This is not baby stuff. This is how real believers, mature believers in Christ, begin to function. They are courageous. They are strong. Doesn't mean they haven't had attacks and those uncertainties on the inside. Courage isn't, doesn't mean you have no fear. Courage means you're not being governed by it. You're overwhelming it and overcoming it. And because you do, those fears have fewer and fewer access points to get into your life. Confidence rises. I want you to stand with me today. I believe the Lord has sent His Word to encourage you. Whatever the report may have been in your life, whatever the threat or the challenge... We're taking new ground. We're going to do just what God had Joshua do. We're going to step into a new territory. We're going to possess something brand new. We're going to repossess things that have been stolen from us. It's time for restoration. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day of deliverance, the day of restoration. The day of possession, the day... I mean, there's so many cool things that we could just go on and on. This is that day. Say it out loud. This is the day, is the day that the Lord has made. Lord has made. I, rejoice. I rejoice. I'm glad. I'm I, recover. I recover. I gain ground. I gain ground. I'm, rising I'm rising up. I'm buoyant. I'm buoyant. I, will I will not stay down. God's given me a word. Me a word. It's brought courage. It's brought courage. And I've I'm an, encourager. I'm an encourager in Jesus' name. Jesus is that true for you? Yes. Say amen if it is. Yes. Amen. It is true. It's not just true in him. Now it's true in you. Glory to God. That's what we receive. We come into the presence of the Lord and God lifts us up. Hallelujah. How many of you feel like God lifted you up today? Yes. Glory to God. Lift your hand before the Lord. Father, I command blessing on this audience, every person, man and woman, child. I declare blessing in this house, multiplication and increase. That harvest has accelerated in this place. That this is a time of abundance on a greater scale. And this is a time for real Bible increase and revival to take place. This is a time when inside of each one of us, revival has already begun. I declare it upon this body and in this house that you are blessed. You're blessed with peace, blessed with encouragement, blessed with the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. You're blessed by God with his healing virtue, with the right to overcome and overwhelm any enemy that comes against you. You're blessed with the substance to regain the ground Satan has endeavored to steal away from you. 
and to stand in the greatest place you've been in your entire life. So I command blessing to come on you and all that you're involved in. I bless your children and I call them back. Those that have been afar off, that they come close in the name of Jesus. Those that have been stolen from, that you are a voice of encouragement and that you are a stalwart of prayer and strength in the name of Jesus. Father, I lay hold on it for this house, for this body, that there is a release of the anointing of the Spirit of God, that we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and that in our inner man we really do embrace these things in Jesus' name. Now say it out loud, I do receive. And I embrace these things. I receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. God. Don't let the devil talk you out of that. We are in great days today. Hallelujah. The last thing I'll do maybe could be the last thing for the moment. I've brought some materials. You passed them on your way into church today. I encourage you to pick some of those up. I think there's a brand new series that I haven't had here before called the New Jesus Revolution. There could be some out still out there. I encourage you to get that. God spoke to me sometime back now. He told me that he would use my early days in my latter days. So I had to take that and ponder it. Are these my latter days? But uh, <laughs> latter days can last a long time. Glory to God. So I'm not concerned about that. But my early days of the Jesus movement and the Jesus revolution was a product of that revival and that move of God. When I was in Southern California, as just a long-haired, druggy, dope-fiend, Stoner space cadet traveling the universe on a regular basis. I had an encounter with Jesus. He delivered me, set me on a course. And I began to see the things of God. And I began to see a few years ago, or just a few months ago now, a year and a half or so ago, how many similarities there are today to the kinds of issues that people were facing and that my generation as a young guy, what I face, there's really kind of a mirrored sort of thing with things people are facing today. And while a lot of the details have changed, the big issue remains the same. The kinds of strategies against humanity, against us, against knowing the things of God against your personal life. The, there's so many things that almost have cycled again into a very dangerous place, but it's also a time for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the power of God and what God spoke to me about as a new Jesus revolution. We really are the Jesus people of our day, and while we're not looking to go back to do it again the way we did it then, there's a spirit of this that God wants to have born inside of each one of us for a Jesus revolution. And so in these two messages, it's just two messages, I shared these at the minister's conference that I'm a part of that Kenneth Copeland hosts each year. I am one of the speakers, and this past January and the January prior, 
I gave these two messages, and God really told me clearly to put it together, make it available to people. It's really not just for ministers and leaders of churches or ministries. It's for every one of us that are called to the ministry of reconciliation. That's every one of us as believers. And so I encourage you to get that, and if we're out of it or if we run out, you can download it on the website, dennisburkministries.org, or you can order it. I'll ship it off to you, however you want to do it. But I encourage you to get that. There's also some books on the table. The one Pastor Jonathan mentioned uh, is my most recent book, Empowered by Grace. And I like that lightning bolt that he mentioned last night. I'm, I'm, I'm into lightning bolts as long as they're like right, not right over my house. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's really maybe the most powerful book that I've put together, and I've written a number of them, as has my wife. But for me, this really sheds light and gives revelation of things that God brought me into regarding the grace of God, not only in my relationship to God, but also in its, its capacity to empower our life to do the things God has called us to do that we don't feel capable of doing on our own. And the truth is you're not capable of doing all God's called you to do by yourself. He doesn't call us to do things that we can do without his help. But he's given us the grace, the capacity, the ability to be able to fulfill his will every turn in the road. And it takes grace to do it. And this book will give you a lot of light and ideas and revelation on how that can happen for you. So take advantage of that. Lots of other things. We do continue to put out our Daily devotional that comes out every single day arrives here locally by email in your inbox at about 3 o'clock in the morning. So I expect you to set your alarm and wake up for it. <laughs> or just let it sit there until you finally do get up. But if you'd like to receive it, if you're not getting it, uh, we've got a little card. You can just give us the email address where you want it to show up, and we'll start sending that to you. doesn't cost you anything, but we'd love to bless you with it. Let it be a part of your, your day each day. Praise God. Have you received from the Lord in these meetings? Yes. Some of you were in all of them, all three of them. Glory to God. Bless you, man. But if it's the only one you can make, glad you came. Glad you're a part of it. Get the CDs, get the messages. Let it be a help and blessing to you. And I look forward to next time. I think you ought to just give Jesus a thank you for whatever it is he gave you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor John, thank you.